Daniel 2, verses 19 through 23. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Well, good morning, Orlando Grace Church, and uh, welcome to our second week in the book of Daniel. This is the longest that my hair has been in a long time. I'm starting to feel like I should be bear hunting in Canada with Leonardo DiCaprio, but I promise you that this is much better than anything that, uh, that would come about if I picked up a pair of scissors. So we'll just wait until that day. Um, in Daniel chapter two, we get to some of the fun stuff in Daniel as Daniel interprets the dreams uh, that Nebuchadnezzar uh, had. And, uh, and you think about this, this contrast. You have Nebuchadnezzar, one of the, the most powerful, probably the most powerful man on earth at that time. Uh, seems like one of the most ruthless as well. You contrast that with Daniel, who is one of the weakest. He is one of the powerless. He's a teenage slave brought in from the defeated kingdom of Judah. And the struggle of this chapter is really who is in control. Nebuchadnezzar has a kingdom that he wants to control, uh, some things happen, and Daniel ends up standing in front of Nebuchadnezzar and saying, the God of heavens, the God in the heavens, is the one who's in control and can reveal all things. So that, that's the climax. It's a story of control. And I was thinking this week about how I would process the events transpiring around me if I felt like I was fundamentally um, the entity most in control of my life. If I didn't believe that there is a God who controls everything uh, and that he is bringing about all things through all these events, bringing about uh, a final and a good destination for his people. I, if I didn't believe that, I would process all that's happening in a very different way. I, I might obsessively try to control things, uh, not believing that, that, that God, there is a God who is in control. When uh, one day the the facade uh, the false charade of control of my having control is ripped from me as it will be. I, I could imagine I would just want to escape. I'd want to numb the fear of not really being in control of the most important parts of my life. And even as a believer, looking at this passage this week, um, it has ministered to me in a, in a very deep way, uh, especially during these, these crazy times, because this chapter shows us in dr dramatic form um, dramatic fashion that there is a God. He is in heaven and he is the primary entity in control of, of all the events that transpire in our lives. So what I want to do in this uh, in chapter two is just look at it and I want to look at how it hits Nebuchadnezzar, how it hits Daniel, and how it should hit us. So first, how it, how it hits Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is on the throne for, for about his second year. And he has this dream, and it totally unnerves him. And really, the scene should be um, maybe parts laughable and parts sobering, because you have the most influential man on the earth 
a ruthless force uh, shaking in his PJs because of a dream that he had. So he gathers together all his, his wisest men, his most spiritual men, and he tells them, I want you to tell me not only the interpretation of this dream, but I want you to tell me what the dream was in the first place. So all of a sudden, Joseph's task is looking pretty easy. He just had to tell Pharaoh what the dream meant. Nebuchadnezzar wants his people to tell him both the interpretation and the dream. And Lots of people have asked, you know, why is that? There's some d debate on this. Uh, some people say that Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream. And I, I, I have categories for that. I've had dreams that, that unnerved me. And, and, you know, as I woke up and the hours passed, I forget a lot of the details of the dream. Um, so there's some, some credible Hebrew scholars who say that's not an option. The text doesn't allow for this understanding. And they would say, no, uh, Nebuchadnezzar knew the dream and he was, he was, Maybe he believed some of his people were phonies. Maybe he, he just wanted to really be sure that the interpretation is, is divine and correct. Uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The, the king, is, a king can do whatever a king wants. So he tells them, tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. And these people, they, they respond the way that you would, you would imagine they respond. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, no one can do what you ask. In verse 11, they say the thing that the king asks is difficult, to say the least. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And so can you begin to see the stage being set for this dramatic showdown between, uh, between God and Nebuchadnezzar. They're, they're saying only some sort of God can do what you're asking us to do, Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, frustrated, he announces he is going to kill them all. And this includes David, who isn't even, I'm David, Daniel, who isn't even in this meeting. He's not even important to be in this meeting, important enough. Uh, but he will be killed just by his association with, uh, with this group of wise men and spiritual men. I mean, I, I've been a part of some conversations that have gone downhill quickly, but never as fast as this. And in this moment... This is the moment that Nebuchadnezzar's house of cards comes, comes crashing down because he had constructed a world where he was in control. Uh, he had constructed a religion that told him what he wanted to hear, and all that was fine until Nebuchadnezzar realizes he's actually not in control, and his religion cannot tell him what he needs to hear. And I, I think there is an irony here that the more someone has influence and control, the more acutely they can feel uh, how much they're not in control. And I, I think we're experiencing this even with our, our technological progress that we've made the past hundred years or so. Astronomy has really helped um, us see that we live on this small rock that floats through the space and can be hit by another rock at any moment. Nuclear science has allowed us and our enemies to have weapons that can obliterate the entire human race at a moment's notice. Um, engineering uh, science has given us planes and trains and cars that can allow us to travel all over the world and spread a virus identified to us by our microbiology science. Um, and in every way, as we advance in our technology, we feel more acutely that we're not ultimately in control. And Nebuchadnezzar, he sees that he isn't in control and he begins to lash out in anger in any way that he can. And what Nebuchadnezzar doesn't realize is that his desire for control is where everything went wrong in the first place. 
Because if you go back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, under the deception of Satan, they decided that they wanted to be in control of their lives, that they wanted to set a new set of, decide on a new set of boundaries. And uh, they didn't want to follow the boundaries that God created for them in which humanity would, would flourish. And when Adam and Eve did this, they created a whole new worldview that we are born into and that we eagerly embrace. And this worldview says we ultimately should be in control. But the more that we think, the, the more that we try to be in control of something, what, what happens is it actually begins to control us. So if we live under the illusion that we are the primary entity in control over our finances, finances begin to control us. If we live under the illusion that we are the primary entity in control over our children, our children begin to control us. And in Nebuchadnezzar's um, situation, his illusion that he is the primary entity of control over his power and his kingdom caused his power and his kingdom to ultimately control him. So we see in our pursuit of control, what we actually get is chaos. And that is how all of this hits Nebuchadnezzar. Next, how does it hit Daniel? Uh, Daniel, again, he has just been informed that he was going to be that he's going to be killed for um, uh, a meeting that he wasn't even a, a part of, just because of his association with the, these wise people. And I mean, if you think about, like, I can't think of a more powerless situation. A a foreign slave who has heard that this power-crazy king has decreed that he is going to die. I mean, I, I, that's, that's the epitome of powerlessness and weakness. But Daniel understands that, there, that in the midst of this, this uncertainty and this seemingly uh, limitless chaos, that there is a God who sits on the throne, who is in control of everything that is going on. And that belief on the part of Daniel, it shapes all the events that transpire for the rest of the chapter. So Daniel, he goes to Arioch. Arioch is the captain of the king's guard. He is, um, his job is to, to see that these executions take place. And Daniel goes to Arioch and said, what's going on? Uh, I hear that I'm supposed to die. And so Arioch explains to him, uh, what is happening. I think it's interesting. Daniel doesn't go to him in panic. Um, let, uh, back up from there. I think it's incredible that Daniel, he doesn't flee the executioner. He goes to the executioner. Again, not in panic, but in what verse 14 calls prudence and discretion. And Daniel then, uh, once he understands what's going on, he makes, I think, the boldest move yet. He says, I want to sit in front of the king and I want to tell him his dream and I want to interpret it. And the reason this is such a bold move is because Daniel has no idea what this dream is at this point, much less how to interpret it. Uh, so how do we know this? How do we know that Daniel's, that Daniel's uh, request was motivated by a deep belief in God's sovereignty and his control? It's because the very next thing Daniel does is pray. He gathers together his friends and they pray. Uh, I would imagine they prayed like they've never prayed before. They prayed that this mystery would be revealed, that their lives would be saved, and in the middle of the night, it was. And I love how the, the author pauses here, because if I were writing this, you know, as the, as 
we get the, the, the action is increasing and we're getting closer to the crescendo of the chapter, I would not have any sort of pause or aside. Um, but it's probably one good reason I'm not writing books of the Bible. Uh, the author here in this book, he pauses us to, to, pauses to let us see the prayer, the prayer of praise that Daniel offers once that vision is, is revealed to him. Because Daniel, this is, of course, the passage that Schuyler read um, just before this. And I, I think I could, I could do probably a whole message on this prayer, but it's important for us to see that the main thing that we see in Daniel's prayer of praise is that he praises God because God has shown himself faithful one more time, uh, that he is in control of all things and that he will take care of Daniel, uh, whatever that means, for Daniel's good and for God's glory. And you can't help, again, but to see the contrast. Nebuchadnezzar can't praise anyone because he is the most important entity in his world. But Daniel, he responds to his utter lack of control, and he praises the one who is in control. So, how then should this hit us? Uh, and this is where we get to, Daniel, to the actual dream and what Nebuchadnezzar uh, and how Daniel interprets it. So, let's look at Daniel... Uh, Chapter 2, verse 27. This is what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So Daniel humbly says, uh, that this revealing of the dream, it isn't because Daniel's wiser than all the rest of the people, but it's because there is a, a good and powerful God, the God of Israel. And so he is, before he, even, before he even tells him the dream, Daniel's being clear about his allegiance to that God. And then he describes the dream. The dream was a, a, an image. And this image had a gold head. It had a chest and shoulders of silver. It had a um, midsection and thighs of bronze. It had legs of steel, and it had feet of a mixture of, of clay and, and steel. And in, in the vision, in the dream, there was a rock not made by human hands that came and struck the foot of this image, and the image crumbled, crumbled into dust, and a great wind came in and, and pushed all that dust away, and nothing was left. And then that rock began to grow into a mountain, that would, uh, that would cover all the earth. So that was the dream. But before we get into Daniel's interpretation of the dream, I think it's important to see why this would have been unnerving to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, even without the interpretation. Because in chapter three, next week, we're gonna see that Nebuchadnezzar's in the process of building such an image. He has been in the process of building this great statue, uh, a golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar, a statue meant to communicate to the world the grandeur and the might and the power of King Nebuchadnezzar. And in this dream, he sees all of it come crashing down and, and just turn into dust and blown away. So it makes a lot of sense that Nebuchadnezzar would want to know, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? And now is where we get to Daniel's interpretation. He says that the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. He says that the silver portion is a kingdom that's inferior but more powerful, which is interesting, that's going to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And then there's a, a third kingdom, the, the kingdom of bronze, that's going to overthrow that kingdom. And then there's another kingdom of iron, this is the strongest metal, that's going to overthrow that third kingdom. And this fourth kingdom of iron would split into two, 
Um, and then it would ultimately split, splinter into many other kingdoms. And in the day of this final kingdom of iron, there would come, uh, in this day, the God of heaven would set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And this kingdom will last forever. Uh, and this stone would initiate this kingdom, the stone not made by the hands of, of man. He will create a kingdom that will ultimately take over the world. That's the interpretation of the dream. And before I say anything about the interpretation of that dream, um, I think it needs to be really clear what the main point is. Uh, the main point of this dream is to communicate to Nebuchadnezzar and ultimately us that God is in control of everything. God is in control of dreams. He is in control of kingdoms. And it is God himself who will one day uh, bring a kingdom that will never fall. The purpose of this dream is not to try and predict the events of the future. That's not what is, intent, is, is uh, intended here. And, and clearly, this is, this is the way that Nebuchadnezzar understands this revelation, uh, which is why he fell on his feet in front of Daniel. He declared that Daniel would be promoted and, and, get, and offerings would be made to him. And then Nebuchadnezzar dramatically gives his life to Daniel's God. King Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't commit the rest of his life to trying to figure out, to predict what these kingdoms would be or change these events. He gave his life to the, God, to the true king who was actually in control of every kingdom. And incidentally, uh, the main critique of, of Daniel, why so many people have struggled to see it as authentic, is because this is exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, you have the Babylonians who were replaced by the the Medes Persian Empire, the Medes Persian Empire that was replaced by the Greek Empire, the Greek Empire that was replaced by the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire that divided into two and ultimately splintered. And it was during this Roman reign that a rock came forth to establish a new kingdom that would spread throughout all the earth and that this kingdom would never fall. And that rock is, of course, Jesus Christ. And that kingdom is the kingdom of God. And I love that the main critique isn't that there's all these holes in Daniel. The critique is that it's too perfect. It can't really be true. And I, I, there are many other ways that I could authenticate, support a, an older date, and that this wasn't some new thing, but I, I'm not going to get into that now. I just love that the main critique is that it's too perfect. Um, but in God's providence, um, what can we learn from this? Uh, we learn that if we believe that we are not in control and that there is a God in heaven who is ultimately in control, that when trials come into our life, that we will respond more like David and less like Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to give just, just three uh, suggestions from this pas passage of ways that we might respond more like Daniel and less like Nebuchadnezzar and we'll be done. So the first way that we might respond more like, Dave, like uh, Daniel is that we would be able to learn and live in a pagan culture without ever giving our hearts to it. You know, as our, as our culture changes, we don't need to begin to build walls between us and our culture. We need to feel the freedom that, that Daniel felt to learn a new culture, to live in this culture, to love this culture, to engage this culture so that we can, um, so that we can reach this culture without ever, ever compromising our hearts and our, our devotion to God in any, in any way. Second, uh, we need to see that one of the ways that God uses us is by taking power from us. 
I've said this a few times. I'll probably continue to say this a lot. I think one of the the uh, I think one of the main parts of my ministry, Lord willing, over the next twenty or thirty years, is going to be shepherding white male Christians through the loss of power uh, in our culture. And the example of Daniel, I think it should give us hope and it should give us. Uh, purpose and even cause uh, to celebrate in this cultural transition because often it's when our power is stripped from us that God uses us in the most significant ways. And then thirdly, we'll be able to see that even though Nebuchadnezzar had every material blessing, his foundation was flawed. But Daniel's foundation was the God of Israel, the God who would provide a rock, not not made by human hands, uh, not even seen as precious, um, and that rock, of course, would be Jesus Christ, the cornerstone that was rejected. And when the, cro- the, the rock of Jesus Christ is our firm foundation, then we become more beautiful in God's eyes than any golden image that Nebuchadnezzar or any other ruler could have ever produced, um, because we then become perfect, sinless children of the God who is most high. So what we truly need, it isn't to to be in more control of our lives, but to see that Jesus, by giving up control and by taking on the chaos that we deserve on the cross, he opened the door for us to be brought back into the order that God designed for us to flourish in and an order that allows us to be in relationship with him. Then we are truly freed up to praise that God Uh, regardless of the events that are transpiring around us. That is what we see uh, happening in Daniel chapter 2, and that is my prayer for me uh, and for uh, my church family and anybody else who who might be watching watching now. So uh, would you let me pray uh, before we finish our time? God, I am so thankful that you are in control, that we aren't left to try and control things, uh, it, it, which are ultimately an effort that's futile because we, we aren't in control. And I pray that for me and for um, the church that I get to be a part of and anybody else who's watching, that you would, uh, that you would by the power of your Holy Spirit, let this go from our heads deep into our hearts and that we would have a deep sense that you love us, that you are good and you are working all of these things toward one glorious destination. Uh, a destination that you have secured for us in Jesus Christ. So it is in his name uh, that, that we pray. Amen.